0: Hi Chris, how are you? Good evening Rob, Happy New Year I think is the way to start. Happy New Year,
1: Happy Hogmanay, all that good
0: stuff, absolutely. Did not sing Old Land's Eye this year, normally we have a bow to it, but apparently one of my friends doesn't like Old Land's Eye. I pulled that face too and I'm not Scottish. Uh, What's not to like? Uh, Agreed, I think it's a great song and I think it's a good New Year tradition and I quite like it, but um, apparently one of my friends is not keen, so there you go. Mm,
1: yeah, well, I mean, fair enough. If you haven't got enough people around that you're not going to sing it by yourself, or two of you's just not going to sing it. But, you know, I think if you've got a couple of people around, a burst of old lang syne is to be
0: done. Agreed. There were ten of us. You know, we could have made it work.
1: I think you should have made it work and crossed your hands, you know, like that, and you shake them all. It's, it's tradition.
0: Uh, agreed. For the listeners, they were and rod crosses arms and like most people pull crackers around the christmas table and you all cross your arms yeah you can all yeah you can all do it anyway i think we need to perhaps set the webcam up so people can see see the faces we're pulling and the arm movements we're doing but it's the uh, 3rd of january so it's our first episode of 2024 i had to think what year it was for a moment and it's episode 101
1: It is, and we've got a little bit of follow-up. I don't think we talked about this last week, but it's worth mentioning it anyway. One of the new features of the current iOS beta, 17.3 beta, is stolen device protection. And this is in reaction to, I think it was Kara Swisher or somebody from the New York Times who visited a prison.
0: Was it Kara Swisher? It was not, and it's the lady, Joanna. Sorry, I was just having a moment on her. She's very good. She had visited a prison more recently, but... Six months prior to this, you'd reported that there's a lot of shoulder surfing going on. I.e., somebody may see you put your PIN code in, and whilst you'll print it in, they will watch it, and then later on, they will steal your device. Or there may be some social interaction going on and make you and they you give them their phone, maybe take a photo or whatever it may be, or to show them something. They force it by pushing the side buttons to make you put your PIN code in, you put your PIN code in, they watch it, and then. If they steal your phone later in the day, they can pretty much do whatever they want to you and cause you a lot of pain by spending money, erasing your account, turning off find My, so you can't find your stolen device. And Apple has come back in iOS 17.3 beta with what looks like a great solution to a lot of these problems of you can turn this on and it will force it to use some form of biometric as well as the pin. And therefore, it's a lot harder for somebody, if they've stolen your device, to do any damage to you or your phone or your, in essence, life.
1: And it's not just biometrics. It actually looks for you being away from a trusted location as well. So it knows if you're around your home, it knows if you're around your work, it knows if you've set a hotel room you particularly trust for that period of time that you're there. And it does do the biometric authentication as well, because the thinking behind this is once somebody gets into your phone, they can log into apps, they can change passwords and emails, they can do all this kind of stuff and make the phone and the, and the data on their, theirs. But it's a little bit more to it than that. Like, for example, I know lots of people store passwords in the Notes app unencrypted. So there's probably a few, a few more things need to be thought about this, but it is absolutely a step in the right direction.
0: Yeah, no, I think, I think this is massive. I think they've done a really good job of it. So what it does is if you turn on stolen device, it's not on by by default. That may come in, I guess, in the future, once it's bedded down a little bit, you could see that maybe in a future point release. By default, we turn it on. But it's not turned on in the first release. And what it does in the short term is, if you want to make any changes to your iCloud keychain passwords, um, apply for a new Apple Card, erase all the content, turn off loss mode, send people money with Apple Cash, which we don't get here in the UK, Use your iPhone to set up a new device, use payment methods in Safari. If you want to do any of those, um, you will need to do use Face ID, not just your pin code, which I think is really good because they're quite sensitive things there, especially like turn off things like lost mode. If you've had your device stolen, then you've gone home, logged into iCloud.com, and gone, my phone's lost, help me find it. And then for some more sensitive things, such as change your Apple ID password, enable recovery key, change your trusted phone number, add add a new face or a finger for touch ID, remove a face, remove a finger, disable Find My, or to turn off stolen device protection. Uh, You have to use Face ID to do that, but then you have to wait an hour and then re-authenticate again later. So I think that's quite smart what they've done there. I would turn this on immediately because I I. I think what they've done is great. And if I've got to wait an hour to do one of these things, I don't think that's going to impact my life at all.
1: No, I think this is a good thing. I think it should be on by default. It is a beta at this point, so I'm slightly unsurprised that it's not on by default, I guess. Hopefully, like you say, at a later release it will be but they've got to iron out the bugs in it first and they've got to see what can be tweaked. And Again, people that are installing the BESA developers are the kind of people who are going to be super sensitive about this anyway. These aren't the people generally you need to worry about. It's the people that don't know what they're doing on their phones or don't really care. I vaguely remember the furore there was about PIN codes back in the day when Apple sort of mandated the fact that PIN codes had to come along and you should be entering them. And lots of people had went through all sorts of hoops just to not have that, which I never understood. It wasn't that big a deal. And it's only got better with Touch ID, Face ID, etc etc so this is a good thing
0: i uh, agree definitely a good thing um what i still find is odd and beta 2 just came out which i've updated my ipad to it's not on the ipad for some reason um i guess that will come at some point but i would have thought they would have tested on the ipad at the same time why not get that feedback but it, it is what it is i guess i did read a book the other day set in 2007 the person was using a, a, a BlackBerry. Obviously, it was pre-iPhone, in essence. And they had their BlackBerry stolen there, too, in this book. And they didn't have a PIN code on their Blackberries, So the the thieves could obviously access anything they want. But back then, in 2007, who did have a PIN code? So we've, we've come a long way.
1: We have come a long way. I mean, 2007 was the year the iPhone started, wasn't it? So, but, but even then, no, I'm thinking about it. Most mobile phones at that point didn't have any sort of locks on them at all. We weren't storing very much on them other than contact at that point, either, though, were we?
0: contacts emails texts obviously especially on a blackberry you'd have a lot more more email than most but i think really pin codes really took off and forgive me for misremembering but when when touch id came around because it made it a no brainer like it wasn't wasn't really an effort i think we started having them as we got towards touch id but they really became de facto i think with touch id
1: yeah i think that's right so well done apple should we do some news
0: agreed well done apple i think it's I think it's a good feature. I will be turning it on for everybody I know when it's out.
1: Fair enough. I wonder how many people have turned on the extended iCloud encryption actually.
0: Probably I have but probably very few. Yeah.
1: Yeah, there's there's a lot there's a lot within this, isn't it? And speak turning to news, you can see why when there's things like this triangulation exploit in the wild. Did you follow this story?
0: I didn't follow it but I have since read about it. So our first thing yeah in the news is to an Apple news article from the Independent. And basically they're explaining here how, I think it's three or four, yeah, four security bugs daisy-chained together can create a zero-day exploit that, Basically, nobody knows about it, not even the developers. And it was in place until iOS 16.2, so it's been reported after the fact it's obviously been patched. But I think this just goes to show this is a very good reason why you should patch all your devices, even if you don't want any of the new features, just to keep them up to date so you can avoid these things. And the way the attack could be exploited was you'd be sent a malicious attachment in on iMessage, and then it would open it. And then as soon as that's happened, this um, attachment would then allow the other three or four security bugs to be exploited, and therefore they could have control of your device. And I think if memory serves, they could see exactly what you were doing on your device in essence, which is a shocking bug. Considering Apple have got all this sandboxing in place, which is meant to stop apps talking to each other or looking at each other's data. It's amazing that something like this could even happen. I've always thought the iPhone quite safe, quite sandboxed. Therefore, if I open a malicious attachment, it shouldn't be able to do any damage because my device is sandboxed and therefore it shouldn't be able to access any apps or do anything like this. So it's, it's a pretty bad bug that's been explored. Oh, sorry, it's a pretty bad set of bugs that have been exploited, but very clever how they've done this.
1: Yeah, it is very clever and it's very worrying. And there's a quote from the Independent Article from Apple saying Apple face an escalating series of this as people want more and more access to phones. And the Apple platform is now a large attack vector for people. These zero-day exploits are absolutely the worst because you don't know they're under active exploit. The point you realize it's happening is probably too late. This targeted all Apple A12 chips from the A12 to the A16 Bionic. So that's quite a range of chips over quite a number of years. So it's possible a large number of people have been affected by this attack. And what you were just saying a minute ago about we presume Apple is safe because it's sandboxed, et cetera, et cetera. A lot of the safest code is open source code because it's there for people to pull over and look at and look at the vulnerabilities within. And, and patches can be pushed put up very, very quickly. I get the impression despite Apple's sort of Hack claims where where if somebody discovers a vulnerability and they send it into Apple, they're meant to pay out. I remember there being quite a bit of stuff around them not paying out very quickly and not being worth people's time to actually go through and find the bugs. Better to go to Google, better to go to Microsoft, better to go to Facebook, find their bugs and they will pay out under their bug bounties. So. It's kind of a perfect storm for this, Apple. You don't know that it's on, that it's going on. When you find out it's going on, the horse has already bolted to a certain degree. Yes, you should always keep your device up to date. But you and I would have been keeping our A12 to A16 devices up to date over the period of this. And had we received this text with, with, with the attachment to it, would we even have known? I mean, that's the real worry about this kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's true. Would we have known? Because it would sit there silently in the background. You would know nothing about it. So it's a big concern. It's great, it's obviously patched. It's also been patched for about a year, say, because 16.2 would have come out about 12 months previous. But the chips you listed there, the A12 to 16, that's five years' worth of iPhones. That's, that's a long time for this exploit to be in the wild, I think.
1: Yeah, and specifically when you look at what it was attacking within there, it was a vulnerability in the register on the CPUs, attacking a true type font instruction, an integer overflow in memory mapping, a Safari exploit to execute shell code as part of the attack and then a vulnerability in the in the registers, like I've said. So that was the cascade through this, starting with a vulnerability in a font but attaching to a vulnerability in the CPU design. That's a sophisticated attack.
0: It's incredibly clever, like I say, how they've daisy-chained chained it all together. This is sometimes what makes me think, Apple, could we have a year of no new features and just patch everything you're aware of um, so that we're not constantly moving new features, introducing new potential vulnerabilities but it will never happen
1: we will see i'm sure uh so a worrying thing patch your phones people if you're if you've got people in iowa 16 get them off them move them on to 17 as long as they can of course
0: yeah i found it interesting the weekend obviously over the holidays i was with my with my family and a lot of the, the devices were still on 17.1 and i was like shouldn't they have auto patched to 17.2 by now it just seemed odd to me it seemed a very slow rollout, whereas. You know, I sat there, patched it all. And then my dad was like, well, have I got the journal app? And I was like, oh, don't worry about it. It just came as part of the update. It's free. But, you know, obviously they noticed it because it's a new icon that gets promptly put on the home screen. But again, I think Apple is slow to force out the automatic updates to keep the estate up to date. I was surprised I'd update all three of my parents' iOS devices, whereas I'd have thought they'd just get done automatically. They plug them into charge. They're on Wi-Fi at home. It's strange to me. I hadn't downloaded and, and already got it ready to install.
1: Now, I see this a lot though, on the devices in this house as well, that people put them off. You know, it'll come up saying, do an update. I'll do it tonight when I'm on power. They don't plug the phone in that night. It gets interrupted because they unplug it. It got to 70%. It was good enough. You know, there's all sorts of reasons for people to put off the updates. I mean, for all I hate, Microsoft and their this computer will reboot in three hours. That appears in the bottom right-hand corner of Windows computers. It will reboot in three hours. It makes people do the update. And... I, I really don't like it. I think there's got to be a better way than that, that it can sit in the background and next time you restart or it goes to sleep or it can send some sort of inactivity, it should probably do it. But maybe Apple should be taking a page at Microsoft's Book in this. If it's an important enough update, it should be full screen. You've got 80 percent in your device. I'm going to reboot now.
0: I agree. I think it needs to be a bit more aggressive with it. I usually make a point when a major one comes out, I go around the family's devices, just make sure up to date. But that's fine for the people I live with. It's the people I don't live with that need to be updated as well.
1: Yeah, a problem. Moving on, second story about is about the US antitrust case against Apple's App Store. This is kind of a nothing story, but it's just worth remembering that you and I talk a lot on this about the state of Apple in the EU. We know that the EU is legislated with the Digital Markets Act to say the App Store will be covered by that law. So far, it hadn't really seemed to be the case in America. It sort of rears up every so often. But this is somebody from the Department of Justice saying, oh no, it's going ahead. It's firing on all cylinders. So yeah, they're not getting away with it in their own backyard either, are they?
0: No, they're not. I think it's a good little reminder. Apple have got until April to comply in, in Europe for this law. Then obviously we've got the US antitrust going the same way. And then there's obviously talk of Japan coming along. So it does feel like this is death by a thousand cuts. You kind of want the whole world to go, look, we all agree with this why don't we all just get on and do it and force Apple rather than doing it one at a time, which is the way it's going at the moment. It looks like, though, by by April, I'm assuming Apple's going to have done something. And it also says in the article that Microsoft's expected to be one of the first companies to have a, a third-party app store on iOS. So it's going to be super interesting to see where all this goes and how it plays out. But again, talking about our issues with security, obviously Apple needs to do this in the right way, and I'm assuming lots of the seeds already in the os as part of ios 17 but they've made no noise about it so it's gonna be interesting to see what comes out this year and how apple message it i think but yeah us are jumping on on the same place as europe and japan's going to follow of you can't do this apple you've got to open it up so yeah super interesting to see how this is going to go
1: it really is. It is going to be an interesting year. It's going to be an interesting year in politics with UK and potentially US elections as well. It's going to be an interesting year in tech when we start looking at these kinds of things being forced to open up. And of course, Google are part of this as well. So, you know, it's there's going to be a lot of flux this year, I think.
0: Yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. I can't remember the stat, but this year, 2024, there is going to be a huge number of elections around the world. It's going to be quite an interesting year, I think, for politics
1: it is moving on uh, this is just an interesting story about uh, we were talking about patents and things last week and how, how can they be used and abused as part of things mickey mouse is now in the public domain apparently which i'm bet disney aren't very happy about
0: yeah i think this one's a bit mixed though isn't it so mickey mouse the original mickey mouse and the steamboat willie i guess film short is in the public domain but this can't be that damaging surely because that's just mickey and that guys and then there's various other newer copyrighted pieces that supersede this so i I don't know how this would work you know if you try to do something with this so it's interesting that mickey's no longer copyrighted and it is strange i think that something can fall out of copyright i don't i don't know i find that odd because surely if you've invented something you don't want other people to copy it but I guess us, I guess we are going back into patent territory again. But you don't want other people making up Disney stories, do you, with Disney characters?
1: Well, it's a 100 years down the line. And I think it's fair enough you've had a crack of the whip at that. It should be able to incorporate into other media. And I've seen all sorts of things based on this, like the This Is Fine little Twitter bird that sits in the This Is Fine with a room on fire have been replaced with Mickey Mouse in this guise, as you say, later ones with different hands and feet and all the rest of it with a different look or other characters around it aren't covered by this particular law. But I think it's important that media can enter the public domain. And if you look at the other things that are into the public domain this year, now anybody is able to print for example, D.H. or download Lady Lady Chatterley's Lover by D.H. Lawrence which is a significant book over time, or Virginia Woolf's Orlando, or Peter Pan, The Boy Who Wouldn't Grow Up. I think these things going into the public domain is for the benefit of all you know instead of it being restricted and under copyright and all was the purview of the disney corporation if somebody wants to use that character which i think in itself was based on you know a slightly racist or extremely racist image in the first place the, the 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 steamboat willie cartoon that it was it was drawn from i think it's important these things are available to all
0: yeah okay maybe you're winning me over but i guess though the problem here is how much can you do with the character before Disney actually have a legitimate case against you? I guess that's the the sort of blurry area of what you can do without infringing on, you know, more recent copyrights.
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's tricky, but it goes both ways. I mean, one of the other things on this list is Victor Hugo's the adaptation of The Man Who Laughs, and that is where Joker from the Batman was inspired from. So would they not have created the Joker without that book? The fact that now, That's in the public domain and is more visible to people. Art inspires other art. I mean, Steve Jobs said great art is steel. So, you know, I think there's very much something in this and having a time limit on something like this, having a time limit on a good idea is not a bad thing because other people can really be inspired by it.
0: Yeah, okay. Maybe Maybe you're winning me over and you said it was 100 years. So that is a, I guess that is a decent amount of time. That is literally a lifetime for somebody. It's long enough. Yeah, okay. Fair enough. But yeah, interesting that Mickey's come out of, he's come into the public domain, should I say. In that, guys. In the, in that very specific, guys. Yes, agreed.
1: Yes. Next story, a little thing on the register. In America, there is a right to repair law. We see it all the time. It's where the ridiculous Apple toolkits we talked about, where you could get those suitcases delivered to you for, was it a $2,500 deposit? And they deliver the suitcase and all the various jigs and things that you'd need to fix your iPhone basically there's a move within the UK to get to there as well the first part of this is being they want to stop people in the UK throwing away rubbish, you know as rubbish electronic items and there'll be a separate recycling bin for electronic items and this will be funded by the companies which I find quite amusing this is the proposal for this is it'll be you know Apple or whoever will actually be putting money in for the recycling of these devices rather than the government taking them away with a ultimately a, a, a right to repair and a longer shelf life for these items
0: yeah, I think this is a good idea. We, we kind of already have this, though, if you go to the recycling, your local recycling centre. They already have a skip, in essence, for small electronics. I assume that then goes away to be recycled because you're already separating it as you're doing the recycling. But obviously, that's at a place you've got a specific trip to go there. What happens if you don't have a car? What happens if you're in a town? Da, 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 da. I think they do need to do something with this, but we're interested to see how this is going to work and the mechanics of how do you charge... You know, vendor. How you know? Do you get Apple to self-declare how many units they've sold it, or how many dollars they've they've sold in the UK, and therefore they give a proportion of that? It's, it's going to be an interesting one to see whether this comes to pass and how they enforce it.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is just a consultation at this point. Consultation takes ten weeks, and that gets it under, underway with DEFRA, which is the Department of Environment, Food and Rural Affairs, and then eventually it might lead to a law. But it's very slow steps in the right direction, I guess.
0: Yeah, that's true. It is, it is a step in the right direction. It's got to be the right thing to do. We need to recycle more. We know this. There's lots of materials and precious metals um, inside our electronic devices. We all treat them as disposable now. You know, how often do you not repair something and you, you just skip it and get a new one? So I'm definitely on board with this.
1: I agree. Another thing I'm on board with is reading devices that aren't Amazon Kindles or Kobo's. Being uh, available to the public. And I just think this is an interesting story that such things are possible. There's a small French company called Vivillo, I think they're called, Vivilio, who are building a sort of more open source Kindle e reader device and providing the books in order to be able to read on them. So I think this is great. I think this should be in the same way that electronics should be recyclable and art should be in the public domain. There should be a more accessible option for people who don't want to be embedded in the Amazon ecosystem or the Kobo ecosystem or just have a more portable format for reading DRM-free books or being able to buy them. So I think this is good all as well.
0: Yeah, no, this is great. I'll just move my Kindle Scribe to one side for a moment. No, I think this is fantastic. Uh, it looks good. It kind of feels a bit more like the Android version of a, of a Kindle in essence, a bit more open source. I would love something like this. I would like not to be tied into Kindle, but it is just so convenient to buy your relatively cheap books on the kindle device and they just work they've got a great store and the two devices do go well together but i think there needs to there kind of needs to be a better mechanism to handle drm across platforms i'm very comfortable buying books and films but the the fundamental problem is you can't then use them on other vendors devices without illegally in essence taking the drm off but i don't mind buying these things but i understand we need drm on it but really what you need is a shared DRM format across the vendors right we've all got a book for we, we're all going to be able to sell books and you can use whatever device you want but you can move your your you know legitimate purchases between device there's just no nice way of doing that I think that is the fundamental problem because you get locked in in essence.
1: Yeah there is a way of doing it uh, link in the show notes um, it's not that illegal in the sense that you have bought that book The fact that it's locked to Amazon is is what they've done you have you know we talked about this last week with the Sony thing Uh, there is a piece of software called Calibre that will DDRM your book I think the legality of that is dependent on the country in which you reside I will leave that there because again I'm not a lawyer Um, but these things can be done but my point would be you shouldn't have to you bought the book
0: yeah you bought the book you should be able to read it on the device you want I mean The link in the show notes is good if you know what you're doing, but this isn't something most people would do to to strip the DRM. I agree with you that you should be able to do it, and it is just frustrating that you can't just port your your catalogs between devices, because it would make it a lot easier then to try these devices out. Part of the reason I ended up with the Scribe is I knew I could use it to read the books I already own.
1: Yeah. And, and that's it, isn't it? It's it's the razor blades from Gillette is what it is. You, you you The razor itself is cheap. The blades are expensive and you're going to buy a lot of them over the years. And it's the same with books. There is a, an argument and I'm a big e reader fan, as you know, I, I don't have a lot of physical books left at all, but actually going into a bookshop, the smell of books, the pages. And once you buy the book, it's your book, unless you drop it in the bath and it turns into mush you know, or leave it on the plane or whatever, of which electronic books suffer from that problem as well. You know, I, I, I really go back and forth on this with there's a lot of value in a book for all the environmental problems that you know printing causes. Electronic books are not a complete solution to this. And things like this, the DRM around them and everything that attaches to them and the issues around it and the vendor lock-in and back to the blades again, they're definitely a problem.
0: Uh, yeah, agreed. They are a problem. And like you, I think I flip-flopped on digital books a few times. I, I do a mix of both, if I'm honest. Some things I'll pick up digitally if I'm traveling or want to read you know, in any wet conditions like a hot tub. But if I'm not doing that, I will happily buy um, a book. I've got really into a lot of books this year. So I'm looking at a bag of 20 books on the floor that I've got to work my way through because I may have bought a few over the last six months. And I agreed, there needs to be a better way of porting. But no, it looks a good device and it looks a very nice device. It looks very complimentary to Kindle. It's like with all devices, they all seem to end up as a certain look and feel. And then all the vendors seem to, you know, hone their... There are various variants around that style. Like the phones all look very similar. A piece of glass, they've got generally rounded corners on it now. Is all screen, has some cameras. And then it's obviously the same with the, the Kindle devices.
1: Yeah, and the thing I like about this, unlike some of the Amazon devices, it's got physical buttons to turn the page. It, you know, It's got a 300 dot per inch screen It's using e-paper. It's got a battery the last weeks. It uses USB-C. It's got Wi-Fi connectivity. It's got things that you want to have. They're table stakes at this point,
0: but it's got them. Yeah, no, it looks looks a really good device. Yeah.
1: Moving on, Microsoft are really going all in on their AI, aren't they?
0: Yeah, they are massively pushing it forwards, which I still find interesting. And I've got another link coming up for an app they've released this week. I find it super interesting that they are pushing so hard on it. I know they don't want to be left behind. And right now they're really out in front. I still am nervous on some of this because AI is just not there yet. We've talked about it making mistakes, getting things wrong, and people just carrying on and believing it's true. And I think that is the big problem at the moment. We need to move it forwards, but it kind of needs a badge still stamped on it. I think is my view. But where Microsoft are going next, though, is uh, the next Surface laptop. So Surface is their range of generally hardware devices. Will be the first true AI PCs, and it's going to have ARM and Intel options, and it's they're going to be optimized for AI. AI workloads, I guess, is their terminology.
1: Yeah, so they're going to have their own neural processing unit built into these things. It's interesting, they're still trying to do ARM chips. I thought their first round of ARM Windows devices had not gone well at all. I don't think anybody really bought them. We benefited as Mac users because our Macs ran Windows better than the dedicated devices, even in virtual machines. So I'm not surprised they're doing some sort of neural processing unit. Let's face it, Chromebooks have them, Android phones have them. Our Macs have similar things built into them and as do our iphones but they haven't really been called it up till now i'm sure come next wwdc they'll be specifically called out as being for tensorflow and, and ai-based a- applications and you're going to have a dedicated windows Copilot button on these laptops as well Whoa.
0: I'm not surprised by it. it's like us having a Siri button, isn't it? so oh, sorry if I've triggered anybody's. I'm not surprised that you're going to have a, a dedicated button. They're really pushing for it they've They've put so much into CoPilot. Uh, I guess they've got to see the returns on it, but I'm still not sure it's there yet. I just I'm, I'm confused by this, and maybe they've been burnt where Cortana was a epic failure, and they've, they've they've started removing Cortana, haven't they from Windows, so they're obviously trying to get ahead of it and not not have the same problem they had before where they were behind.
1: Yeah, they're trying to stay in front. Although I did read a thing about one of Donald Trump's ex advisors, Michael Cohen, using one of the LLMs either it was barred or copilot to try and defend himself in court, and it was citing law that wasn't actual law. You know, and when you start doing things like that, you're in a world of hurt.
0: You'd expect him to have had legal counsel to defend him.
1: Yeah, we we might be on a tightrope here talking about that particular thing. It's just an illustration uh, that uh, LLMs as we've highlighted several times before don't necessarily give you the truth. They just give you an answer. It's not necessarily the right answer.
0: Yeah, it's that whole fact-checking piece. And that's I think AI's biggest weakness at the moment. And at some point it may become more famous at the moment, you know, in the short term for being wrong than it is right, which is obviously not a great look if you're trying to build trust.
1: Yeah. And if if Microsoft are betting the farm on this and people are trusting it, one, two, three huge mistakes when they go to do a presentation or they're, you know, talk to the partners or they're, you know, whatever it is that they're trying to do with Copilot, write a bit of code and it goes horribly wrong. It, that's the end of it. You know, people will just not trust it.
0: Yeah. Once you're bitten, it takes a long time to uh, win you back.
1: It really does. I think a few high profile people will have to be bitten in the everyday workplace. It's not good enough being one of Trump's advisors.
0: No, that's true. But if you've got, you know, maybe an actor or presenter writing a speech or something or a joke and it's factually incorrect, then, you know, this could become a problem and it could become a meme quite quickly and therefore, you know, travel around the world quicker than uh, people like Microsoft would like. Yeah.
1: Moving on, we've talked about Broadcom and the VMware purchase a couple of times. Apparently, they've now decided to stop the channel program as well, which was preferred suppliers getting particular deals to buy VMware products, and they don't know what's going on with it because they're just going to end the channel in 2024. This is just a... It seems like Broadcom are very quickly shuttering VMware at me.
0: I think it feels like Broadcom are swallowing them, but Broadcom have got their own partner program, so they're going to roll people into that, but it's invitation only. So I guess for some partners... They may not get the invite, but I'm surprised by how quickly they're moving. I must say, Broadcom seem to be swallowing them whole and absorbing them very much into Broadcom's world, uh, which I understand why they're doing it, because obviously it's a lot more efficient for them and there will be some synergies, because every time there's an acquisition, they always talk of the synergies that the two brands coming together are going to make. But it does feel like the VMware branding is going to be, I guess, diminished a little bit. Maybe it's all going to move to Broadcom, but yeah, they're simply swallowing it whole and... It's interesting to see how this one plays out, but mate, I do wonder what's going to be left of VMware. I think because we talked about them offloading their consumer products, there must be something in there they've seen that they want. And I know they're big, obviously, in in the hypervisor piece of doing virtual machines. But it's interesting to see where Broadcom are going with this, because like I said, very quickly swallowing them, getting rid of their consumer pieces, and just stripping it back to the, obviously the bit they wanted.
1: I mean, it's a very Microsoft move, what they're talking about here. They're going from per socket pricing to per core pricing. So what that means is servers, particularly with Xeon chips and other chips, have multiple cores. Even our desktops and our Macs have multiple cores these days. So if you're being charged per license for a 32-core processor in what was a one CPU socket, your amount you're paying for your license is vastly increased compared to what it was before. So great Broadcom stand to make a lot uh, will make a lot more money out of that than VMware were, but people will just drop that and look for alternatives. It's not easy when you've got embedded workflows and you know we've talked about before hypervisors and and being able to transition live machines and all the rest of it and other software that VMware made like um, Horizons that were based on that but this is potentially a vast amount of money for some of these partners
0: yeah this this is quite big i think and maybe they're going to lose some customers but i guess the customers they lose will get replaced by the revenue they generate from the change in in pricing and this is where they're all going isn't it it's amazing that vmware still put a socket based. to be fair
1: yeah but again i've said it repeatedly you can use one of the open source based hypervisors and there is no cost for as many processes or sockets or cores as you've got in your machine crack on microsoft's i know a charge per core as well for their client access licenses and for their virtualization technologies and all the rest of it but the open source alternatives are probably better in many ways and there's still other companies like oh gosh i can't remember the oracle uh, based one that is also more or less free and open source i want to say xamarin but it's not xamarin never mind it's gone
0: no i can't remember either apologies
1: Anyway, interesting and worth keeping an eye on with ever-changing licensing terms. Another thing that I just want to circle back around to, we talked in the podcast a couple of uh, weeks ago about NHS England and its contract with Palantir, which all seemed very shady, as we talked about at that point. Well, the NHS have published the details of the contract with Palantir, and it's incredibly heavily redacted and actually tells you almost nothing. And this is actually even more concerning, I think, to me than just doing a dodgy deal in the back back way. This is them trying to sell it as a fair deal with, with privacy protections on it, but this ain't right.
0: Nothing's right about this story. So they released the redacted version on the last working day, Friday the 22nd of December. It's heavily redacted, and it's all under their transparency. You know, they're trying to be fair and transparent. But this is awful. Who releases something on the last Friday of the year that nobody's going to pick up? And then it's heavily redacted, so a lot of the details are missing. You know, it's a contract that was awarded without any competition. You know, it's not like they had three or four contracts in to compare, or even one other contract to compare it to, to make sure that we were getting good value for money. Here in the UK, obviously, the NHS is our National Health Service. Everybody's entitled to go and have free health It's obviously famously underpaying its staff, its doctors. There's been lots of protests. And yet, here we are spending an exorbitant amount of money, on large contracts and not even, like I say, benchmarking them against others or doing it in a fair and transparent way, to use their words, but yet they're now trying to pretend they are doing the right thing, but there's nothing really to back that up. I mean, it's awful how this was even signed off. Like, how was this approved without there being an alternative, you know, contract at the table? Very bizarre. Do you know who the chief
1: executive of Palantir is? Uh, I do not. It's Peter Thiel. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow, okay. So he needs more money. He needs more money. He's one of the richest men in the world. If anybody is bored and wants to do a little sort of Google for themselves to go and look at some of the things that Peter Thiel has been involved with, both good and bad, I think it's fair to say, possibly the bad outweighs the good, it might be worth a look just to see who's uh, sort of helming this particular organisation.
0: Yeah, I don't disagree with that. And He was very much obviously involved in bringing Facebook to the masses and various other things. I say some good, some bad, but none of this looks good. I just I don't understand how this is allowed. Surely there are governance process steps in place to stop this kind of thing. So how does this happen? Like, I just find it, yeah, very bizarre.
1: Yeah, I mean I I think there should be more about this in the mainstream media of what's going on with people's data here. But the last sentence in the Linked Register article. NHS England has said the FDP competition, so this is the competition to win these contracts, is fair, open and transparent in line with public contracts regulations. None of this is fair, open or transparent.
0: No, it's awful. But they're gonna now turn around and go, Yeah, we've published everything that we can, we had to redact certain things, it's all fine. But you did on the last working day of the year, you have redacted half the paperwork, and you didn't, you know, have another, you know, contract to compare this against for good value for money. So, no, this is not good. Something needs to change here. But it will be interesting to see whether anything does actually come with this.
1: Yeah, well will. I will keep an eye open for this for sure. Do you want to tell us about Microsoft Copilot and iOS?
0: Yeah, so we've touched on Copilot a little bit already with Microsoft being all in on AI and Copilot. They've actually released an app on iOS and Android, which you can download for your iPhone, your iPad, and actually looks pretty good. seems to work quite well. You can just go and use Copilot for free. You can sign your Microsoft account, but you can't sign in with your workplace account. Because I did try that earlier, because I wondered if you signed in with your workplace one, whether it take you to the Bing Enterprise version, which is obviously what workplaces want to do to encourage their staff to use this kind of technology. But it's just interesting, they're so in on... Copilot, that they seem to be able to move quite quickly, but they don't seem to be able to do other things quite quickly. But yet, yeah, everything to do with Copilot, they're acting more like a lean startup than a massive, you know, enterprise business that they are. So it's really interesting to see Microsoft like this. You know, it's it's quite nice in a way to see them have some get up and go in them. Like we chatted about earlier, I don't think AI is where it should be yet, but it's just super interesting just seeing them really go for it because they don't want to get left behind.
1: Yeah, I suspect that's it. Is they're jumping on this? They felt they missed the boat with search. They felt they missed the boat with mobile. They're trying not to miss the boat with this.
0: Yeah, I think I think that's exactly it. Once been and like I say, it's quite nice to see them in that aggressive space because you don't often see it in a big company. Um, I'm quite enjoying it.
1: Nice. I'm not sure that's a word to apply to this because you could be sort of very heavily promoting something we've we've said is a little on the dodgy side really but um it's interesting and again i think it's going to be one of the stories of 24 isn't it i mean we're going to be talking soon about what we're thinking is going to happen in 2024 specifically with apple i'll say now i'm sure apple will go heavy on on ai llm's type models in the next version of the os
0: potentially but then Apple sometimes famously l- very late to a party because they want to do it either better or or or, or, or add something in it that, that the others aren't doing. I do agree with you. I think, yeah, AI is, can be wrong and seems to be wrong at a lot at the moment. But I just like to see Microsoft, like I say, have a bit of get up and go in them. So it's it is interesting. We've got a year of AI coming. Definitely, it's, it's like round two, I think, of AI. Interestingly, playing my children at Mario Kart in the old days, you used to say you race against the computer for some reason they seem to think we're racing against ai they've rebranded it in their heads as is that the ai car and it's just like why are you saying that because you know because of the branding of ai being everywhere now it it seems to be that thing it's retrospectively applied to uh, to older models in essence
1: yeah uh, there was that um car and grand charisma wasn't there where there was a better form of ai that they introduced into the system and that was quite hard to beat
0: uh, agreed yeah no it's good but it's just like i said just interested in their mindset of how they think everything's ai now when it's what we would just called computer controlled or the computer in the old days
1: yeah very true uh one last quick story uh public service announcement apparently ios 17.3 beta 2 is bricking some people's phones not ipads phones specifically there's a linked article in 95 mac which will have changed by the time we actually get this podcast out but it's apparently affecting people that have back tap enabled on their phone specifically i have back tap enabled on my phone so this would have broke my phone if i'd updated
0: yeah i have back tap but i'd forgotten i had it because i just randomly managed to turn on my torch the other day and then i realized ah, i must have set back tap for a long time ago to do that but now i'm not running any betas on my iphone because there's nothing exciting in the betas, so I'm, I'm happy i came off it
1: Apart from the device locking theft thing, yeah.
0: Yeah, I would like that. But equally, I would like that when it's out of beta. So as soon as we're out of beta, I will go for that. Fair play. Is there anything else in news? Now let's get into media. We did Taskmaster New Year Treat was on, on Channel 4. I watched it with my family. It was great. One hour, just really good... Nice, tight. The editing's so good on it; it was just fantastic. Same format we all know and love from Taskmaster. A great range of guests on it. I thought you had Deborah Medin, you had this guy—what was his name? Lenny, young, fourteen-year-old actor, which was fantastic to see, and a couple of other contestants on it. Just really good, and they weren't all comedians as they normally are. I just thought it was a great mix. They're really good at finding a good mix of people, you know, to make up the fivesome. So, I would one hundred percent recommend.
1: Yeah, it was great. It was a lot of fun. My youngest daughter, who has been a hot, bit hot and cold on Taskmaster, is now into it. She gets it. She sat and watched it. She enjoyed it. It's just a great show. Less swearing than usual in this one as well.
0: Less swearing. And it's great that you did a one-off. Just fantastic. If anyone's got uh, you know an hour or so, go and watch this. If you're not sure about Taskmaster, I think it would win you over. Yeah,
1: I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world to get hold of it. Certainly some of the American podcasts I listen to, they, they're aware of Taskmaster. So I presume Netflix in the States has it. I know the first four seasons, I think, are on Netflix in the UK, but it's all four for us to be able to find these things.
0: Yeah, it must be somewhere, I'm sure.
1: Speaking of Netflix, I finished Blue Eye Samurai. I talked about it two weeks ago, I think, as a little thing I'd started to watch. Might be one of the, with the exception of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, I think it might be one of the greatest animations I've ever watched. Fantastic story. Amazing voice cast. Actually had Ken Brannett in it. I didn't recognize Ken Brannett as one of the voice casts in it. It is absolutely terrific. What a great story. It's adult. It's definitely adult animation. It's not for not for children. I I have a friend who believes all animation is for children. This is not that. Excellent. I, I just can't recommend it highly enough. Without giving any spoilers or anything away, I'd say watch the trailer on, on YouTube. And if you can get hold of Blue Eye Samurai and watch it, it's worth spending. It's only eight episodes, I think. It is absolutely terrific.
0: Yeah, you mentioned this to me. I haven't got to it yet, but I'll put it on the list.
1: Put it on the list. Also on the list that I'm working through with a certain resignation is the Crown, the current season of the Crown. Yes, all right.
0: It's all right. I so kinda of wanna watch it, but I kinda of don't because I really enjoyed the first two two or three seasons. I don't want to go any further
1: yeah it's like I, I still have my reservations about the actress i'm not sure about what they've done in the wake of diana's death either it's quite uncharacteristic of the crown i think in the way that they're portraying some f- interactions post her death i don't like it very much
0: mm, yeah it's not it's not being the best series considering the first ones were so well regarded it's a shame the last one less so
1: yeah you have some comments on media
0: yeah so i did watch barbie after we spoke well i've watched some of barbie i hated the start i just couldn't get into it at all i apologize profusely there's there's like a the first i don't it's quite a long section like the warm up bit we just went on for so long i just didn't i just couldn't get into it at all so uh, i think i'm missing something maybe i need to have another run at it maybe watch it with my wife i know she has seen it in the cinema but it It just wasn't working for me, and I didn't want to invest any more effort or time into it. I apologize now.
1: Wow. I'm thinking I shouldn't be recommending films to you. I mean, that's Pacific Rim failed, and that's Barbie failed. You might be the only person on the planet, I think, that didn't like Barbie.
0: Yeah, I know, which is really odd, (laughs) because I don't know why I don't like it, because I normally like quite a lot of things, but I just couldn't get into it at all. I apologize now.
1: And on that bombshell?
0: And on that bombshell, let's go on to games I've played not a lot of games other than Mario Kart with my children over Christmas, which was fantastic because if you haven't played Mario Kart for about six months, go back and have a multiplayer Mario Kart. Such a good game. Still stands up, what, six, seven, seven years later after the original Switch came out? It's so good. So that was what we did over Christmas. What have you been up to?
1: Well, I'll tell you what I've been up to in a minute. I've played an awful lot of Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, largely in the Warzone mode, uh, which is Terrific! Uh, it's been keeping me thoroughly entertained. It's back to the original Modern Warfare. One for me. Don't bother buying the game. Just get the free download and play Warzone. That's the way to go. In other news, though, there was a little release over Christmas of a Slay the Spire mod. Slay the Spire. I've got, I'm sort of honour bound to talk about it. There's a modification, a Steam Workshop project called Downfall. Uh, it was affected by malware. So if you're on Windows and you downloaded the an update to the Slay the Spire uh, mod Downfall. You might have been infected, actually, with this rather nasty malware that would then hunt through your computer and look for password files, particularly for instant messaging things such as Discord or Telegram, and broadcast those details out. So this is quite a nasty little hack. I'm sure most people view Steam as trusted. Of course, the workshop isn't the same as a, an honest download from Steam. Other things can get in there. The mod stopped it straight away, the, the moderators stopped it straight away, but it seemed to only affect Windows users and was reversed very, very quickly by December, on by one forty p.m. Eastern time on December 25th. But this is nasty, isn't it? You know, introducing malware via Steam is an interesting attack vector.
0: Yeah, not a good look, but I'm not surprised. It Surely it's a thing Steam are battling with on a regular basis to try and stop this kind of thing, as are any vendor of, whether it's an app store, you know, an OS, as we've been discussing earlier. So not a shock, but really clever how they've done this.
1: It is very clever. So just if you're a Windows user and you installed the Slay the Spire mod, you might want to go and patch your machine again very quickly. You would have noticed it would have fired up a Unity library installer pop-up, apparently, and users on Macs and Linux wouldn't have been affected by this, as far as I can see. Next, also with Steam, they've dumped official support for Windows 7 and Windows 8. I've got to think there's a few hurt people with this.
0: No, they should have done this ages ago. Come on. Windows ten's so good. Everybody should have got onto Windows ten. I mean, Windows ten's starting to get towards its latter years now and you know it's been superseded. Uh this makes perfect sense. It does
1: only affect one percent of users. We've already talked to them about getting rid of older Mac versions as well. So I'm not surprised actually that they're you know, they've made this decision to to dump Windows seven and eight, as you say, not supported by Microsoft. I suspect there's quite a cadre of people that think Windows seven is the greatest Windows ever made though.
0: It was a good version, don't get me wrong, but there were, I think 10 and 11 have been very good as well. They've got to do this, I think. You need to know when to leave behind the older RSs surely, to move on. And it needs to keep moving on, otherwise we're not going to be secure and patched, are we? So I've, I think it's a balance, and if they've got down to 1% of their user base, that seems pretty decent. I wouldn't be surprised if they did it, say, at 5%, for example. So kudos to them.
1: Fair enough. And then one game I have managed to play a little bit of, it was our game of the year, I think. No, it was a, it was a runner-up game of the year, Baldur's Gate 3, last week. So I found a bit of time to play that. I've, I'm just, I haven't played very much of it because it's vast. I'm not a big Dungeons and Dragons fan, it must be said. I, I, I quite like some of the books and things around it. I was a big Dragonlance fan back in the day. But never, other, I think I played two actual games of Dungeons and Dragons in my life with a Dungeon Master and with dice and all the rest of it. So I'm certainly not the it, typical uh, you know it, i'm not typical for this market really what a production though what an amazing amount of media to have put together in such a short, short space time i've say i played an hour there was something in the character creator i've never seen before in any video game it asked me what genitalia i'd like my character to have and then if you wanted to see them you could and there was a choice of many
0: <laughs> so Fantastic. i mean just what well I needed
1: well, I'm just, the point is, we talked about Blue Samurai being an adult cartoon. This is an adult game, you know, and th- th- there's lots of hacking and slaying and swearing in games that just goes, you know, we talked about Call of Duty, that's pretty seriously marketed towards people between 8 and 16, I'd say, as well as the older people who should know better, like myself. Uh, and that's acceptable. There's lots of swearing in that, there's people getting shot in it, you know, there's, there's gun porn, for want of a better word than that, and that's fine. So I think this is okay that you have adult-based computer games. If people want to do this, then they can. But it just gives an inclination as to how detailed the character creator was if you want to spend time doing that. I kind of skipped by it all very quickly and picked a, a cleric and off I went. But the quality of the graphics, the quality of the voice acting, the amount of stuff that's in it is frankly amazing. It's, I think I got it on sale. It was £45, I think, on Steam at the that's a game you could play for years it's so deep just based on the first era that i managed i haven't got off the first stage yet that's how big it is so i'm i'm really very impressed with Baldur's Gate 3 genitalia choices aside i think it's it's an interesting one
0: yeah it does look amazing i have played a couple of dungeons and dragons board games with some friends but i like you i'm probably not that into the world i am tempted to try it but i don't know if i want to buy it and play it i think it's just it's too much of a time sink for me
1: Yeah, I don't think you'd see a return on your investment. What I'd say is, and I I hesitate to make another film recommendation, is go and watch Honor Amongst Thieves, the Dungeons & Dragons film that came out last year with Chris Pine in it. That's good fun.
0: Enjoy that. It's meant to be a very good film.
1: It is a very good film. Hugh Grant is terrific in it.
0: Oh, is he in it? Yeah. He's getting around. He's having like a second coming, isn't he, post Paddington and and various other films he's been in The Gentleman. And he was in uh, Wonka that I saw just before Christmas. But fair play to him.
1: Yeah, I'm not recommending it, though, because you won't like it. (laughs)
0: well there is that so i i don't think i dislike everything you like i just the last few i've had a few misses personally nothing else in games no sadly not
1: let's do a, a main show and we said last week we were going to do some thoughts about what apple might do in 2024 and what our hopes and dreams may be and we'll just have a general chat about it yeah
0: yeah i think that's a good idea
1: okay so first up and probably the biggest thing they're going to announce and we know all about it is the Vision Pro will release in early 2024. So there's a link in the show notes to everything we think we know so far about the Vision Pro. There's a prediction it will be very early next year. We're thinking probably before May, may even be sooner than that, yeah?
0: Very early this year. You said oh, next yeah. year. We, we've, we've transitioned from 23 to 24. Um, and then I've actually put a link in, some people are saying it's coming at the end of January, so it could literally be imminent. Um, it, it feels like Apple are going to have a really busy 24 after what was a fairly quiet 23, especially the first six months of 23, and they didn't really release a huge amount. There was plenty going on software, and then we had WWDC, but it's it's been been largely quite quiet on 23 because there's been no iPads. The watches have been okay. The phones were were pretty good, but again, weren't revolutionary, nor were the Macs, but it feels like 24 is going to be quite a big year. So yeah, I think the Vision Pro is coming potentially in January, but we think early this year, that Apple have always said early Early twenty-four. It's only shipping in America this year, though. Um, we don't know what international rollout looks like or other areas. Um, will the UK get it six months later, like we did the iPhone? Will it be longer? I don't think we know. Uh, apparently, Sony are struggling to make all the, the the screens, the little panels. So, if they can only make a million of those, or two million of those, you've, you've got half that number because obviously you need two screens per device. So, it's going to be interesting to see how this is going to play out, how, how supply constraint they're going to be. And then whilst we know a lot about it, there's probably details we don't know about it. You know, what are you going to get in the box? Are you going to have to pay more for different lenses? You know, I, I don't think we know some of those pieces yet. So it's going to be super interesting.
1: Yeah, that's all fair. And what you're talking about is obviously the internal screens for the device. In order to view those, you're going to need to have them to your prescription or at least to some sort of lens that fits over the screens themselves so you can focus properly on it. I wonder if the horrible events in Japan over the last couple of days would affect any sort of production from Sony's point of view, so that might be a consideration as well. This is a, tif- a difficult device to buy in the sense that it's a lot of money. What are we talking? £3,500, £4,000 four thousand effectively for to purchase one. You've got to have it tailored to your exact you know, vision. It's going to be difficult to share with your family to show how cool it is. It's only going to have an American release. And the software story is a little bit vague. So yeah, next big advice, but next big device from Apple, we all get very excited about that. This is probably the thing I've been most skeptical about as an Apple product since the iPod
0: sock. Wow, the iPod sock got an entry, and you're not big on the iPad either. Let's not forget that. And a lot of the OS and apps seem to be based upon the iPad variants. So it feels to me that the way they've done it is the iPad apps and I think we spoke about this a few weeks ago because I was saying to you it feels like the iPad has become the center of modern Apple platforms in that the the store on my Apple TV is based upon the iPad store sort of store the TV app apologies is based upon the iPad version and then the Vision OS platform a lot of it seems to be based around the the iPad versions as well I wonder if this is where stage manager came from and was developed maybe for Vision OS and then got Ported to the iPad and to the Mac, but I've not really seen anybody use it on the Mac. Um, so it's going to be super interesting to see how it lands, what can you do. It looks like a really hard device to share with other people because like you say, you need to have your prescription um, lenses in there. I guess if, if you don't wear glasses, um, I haven't got mine on now, but I should be wearing them in front of the screen. Then if you don't wear glasses, it's probably a lot easier to, to share. You, you'll have a headband that will fit on it. We don't know what these things are like to wear to do work on it. You know, this is the first headset really pitched at work not just playing games i've never owned a headset i was tempted by the playstation one and, and i didn't because i i was concerned i'd feel motion sickness i really want to try one of these out um, i would spend the money i think if i a had it and b it was compelling enough but I'm concerned it's not compelling enough yet. And it's quite a culture change, isn't it? You know, are we going to end up going in the office where companies, especially here in the UK, I don't know what it's like in other countries, but they're trying to get all the staff back in. Because you imagine going in the office and everybody's just sat there with, with in essence, some goggles on, not looking or, or socially interacting with each other. But then I could see me wearing this. I'm in my shed, I'm working from home on my own. Why wouldn't I want a massive canvas to do all my work on and have all my apps spread out in front of me? So it's going to be super interesting to see how all this plays out um, and, and what the details are. It'd be great to see a review and some of the nuances. It's a bit of a shame that the people that have had official Apple reviews and developer sessions aren't being allowed to talk more about it and maybe to give a bit more of their impressions. I know it's a developer product, but I think it'd be good for Apple to keep building the hype a little bit, especially as we're getting so close to release. Because typically what Apple do is they seem to release a new iPhone. They give people five days with it and then they've got to get their reviews out. Whereas you kind of want people to have a bit longer with it and to give you some considered opinions rather than a few days of just trying everything out because it's new.
1: Yeah, my biggest skepticism about the device is it is literally an iPad stuck to your face. Now, that's not fair. People that used it say it's incredibly immersive when it comes to watching films or looking at photographs or videos taken with the spatial video feature turned on. It is incredibly impressive. You know, there's there's lots to be said for the immersion of the device. And uh, Marcus Brownlee on MKBHD has said a few times he's been so impressed with how the cameras work. I think he's had two or three more goes with it since his original one at Cupertino and the sort of pinch gesture and things like that as you're navigating the display with your with the cameras on it as as, as you're using it, he says they're amazing. So that's good. I mean, that sounds like Apple have got the hardware nailed, which is very Apple. We'll ignore the butterfly keyboard and things like that. But for version 1 stuff, generally it's pretty good. You, you didn't have a lot of version 1 iPhones with the the, the, the buttons failing on them or, or Series 0 Apple Watches falling apart on people's wrists or falling off people's wrists. They can do this stuff. They can get a version 1 out the door that's good enough. It's the software story. If all you're giving me are the same apps you've got on your iPad, That's not good enough for me. I mean, it's good enough for you in the sense that you can do your PowerPoint on it, but is it really worth three grand more than the Mac you're using or the the existing iPad you've got for 700 quid to do that? That canvas is compelling, but I I think it's a hard sell. Like you say, that piece of, I'm just going to take this off and show you how immersive it is. Oh, hang on. I just need to pop these lenses out and get some more made up by Zeiss down the road to fit in properly. Mm, You know, it's, it's tricky. Very tricky.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and part of me wonders, it's going to be a bit like the Apple Watch. You remember when they first demoed us the Apple Watch, the OS, they got a lot wrong on it, what you would actually use your Apple Watch for. They were really pitching it as a communication device. And then what we've actually found is it's a notification and, and a health tracking device. And they've really lent into that in more recent versions. But the original version was really about trying to do everything. You know, they kind of threw everything into the Apple Watch until it found its niche. It's going to be like that with the Vision Pro. Yep, it's here for productivity. You know, you can remote onto your Mac and use it. You can watch a film on it. You could, you know, you can probably write, you know, pages, documents on it, but it'll be interesting to see actually what what actually gets traction what does it really get useful kind of the same with the ipad the, when the ipad was released it came with iWork and and all the media consumption stuff but very much found its place as a media consumption device and i do think the ipad is better for media consumption than the mac because you get all the apps of all the third parties like your primes your netflix um and i think that works really well and then it's taken a long time to get the productivity moving on the ipad and it's still not there today you know what 10 years in 12 years in now so it's going to be really interesting this device to see how it lands and like you say how they manage it as being limited production in a limited uh, market which is just the states and what the rollout plan B is. Are people around the world going to want to buy version 1 when well, probably version 2 will come not long after it. If you remember we all bought the iPhone 1 and then six months later the iPhone 3G came out. Do you know what I mean? Because we're on a different cadence. It takes them a while to get the cadence settled down. And I'm curious to see what the difference will be between a Vision Pro, which is what's being released, and they've announced, but what will a regular Vision be? Because surely they're they're tearing themselves up to have a Vision Air, or or you know, or a cheaper model. And maybe that's just a Vision Pro rebadged and packaged down into a more slightly more basic model, while they bring out the new Pro, Pro model. So it's going to be interesting to see how they do this and create this whole new category. But yeah. I think it's interesting as a person that uses his iPad all day to do work on it every day, five days a week and I love using it. I would love to have that experience bolted to my eyes but I'm I'm curious but I don't spend three and a half thousand pounds on it.
1: Yeah, I guess it's going to come down at the software in many ways and maybe they'll demonstrate the use of it and they'll go on but if only five people buy them and no developers make the apps for it it's going to be dead in the water. So it's really going to be interesting to see what the demand is for these devices and if they're ready to hit it in January and they sell Tens of thousands of them. Then there will be a version two, and maybe an air version, and maybe who knows what comes next. And I may be converted next year. It's not. Wouldn't be the first time I have said I'm not buying one of those, and then I go and buy one of those. Let's face it. But I think this is a harder sell because the price point is that much higher than than, you know, than the iPhone was originally, and the Apple Watch was originally, and the iPad was originally. And, you know, I I I could see myself scrimping and saving enough to get my very first PowerBook back in the day, because it was a decent value proposition for me, and I loved that device, and I used used the hell out of it. This is untested water. All we've seen is failures in this market—from Microsoft's headset to Meta's headset to Sony's headset. All we've seen is failure. Now, if any company is going to turn it around, it's Apple, but I remain skeptical. So we shall see.
0: Yeah, and also you got to remember that when we bought laptops back in the day, you bought like one device, one really good device. How many devices have we all got now? You know, I've I've got a Kindle in front of me. I've got a phone. I've got an iPad. I've got a Mac. You know, I've got another Mac. We've all got so many devices. And I think that's the problem. The price of the devices is going up and we've got way more devices than we've ever had. So it's it's going to be interesting to see how this fits in, you know, like Apple made the iPad fit into people's lives. How is this thing going to fit in? Or is this going to replace something? So, yeah, it's going to be super interesting to see what that looks like. Is this Apple's way of cannibalizing the iPad, maybe? Who knows?
1: We shall see. Moving on. HomePod. What are we anticipating in HomePod's?
0: uh let talk of a screen um, i left the pause in there because who knows um, i love my home pods i'm probably the only person that does in the uk um, i i think they're good speakers i've have quite good luck with them pairing quite nicely with my apple tv here work flawlessly i've got some home pods in the kitchen definitely has improved with more recent versions of version 17 of whatever software it runs i think we may get a screen and that That would probably be it. And if we do get a screen, it might use continuity camera like your Apple TV. I could see them using a variant of Apple TV software on it and it it tracking that. And I wonder if that's why they've invested so much effort in the Apple TV this year, because they're also going to use it in a screened HomePod. And you could use it with a camera or would it come with a camera? It'll be interesting to see how all that plays out. But the continuity camera on the Apple TV is very good. Why wouldn't they do that on other devices?
1: I think the biggest problem with the HomePod is it uses a variant of the watch chip, right?
0: Yeah, that seemed a backward step to me, if I'm honest. But I guess for dumb audio, you need that. But it could easily go on and use not a watch chip and just use a, you know, an iPhone chip like the original HomePod did. So it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Or is this going to be a year where the HomePod gets no love and it just carries on with the same lineup?
1: I don't think they'll release a HomePod with a screen this year. I Much as I like the thought of it that it may actually have a bit more utility than the current home pod which i have actually switched one back on to try and get the matter thing sorted it's not as good as sonos it's very flaky you don't know what it's up doing you struggle to pair them you don't you know i could i could go on and on and on about i think it's a very average speaker but then for an apple product the cheap one's only 89 or 99 pounds something like that but again, I think it can do better. And as I was talking about last week with the Google device, I saw you can get a Google thing with a screen for 55 quid or in a HomePod without a screen for 99 quid. There's no way Apple are going to release a HomePod for less than the current HomePod, HomePod. So you're probably talking 150, 200 quid for a very average speaker with a very average screen that may be underpowered that may or may not work. Mm, hard sell.
0: I agree. I think this is a tough market for them to crack. They're not there on price. They're not there with the quality of the software. I think they are there with the quality of the hardware. I do think the speakers are pretty good for the mini and for the main one, but I think they've got some work to do. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they carry on with this or not. You know, how much effort are they spending on this? Yeah,
1: it will be interesting. So I think we can leave that there. I'm not expecting a new HomePod this year. If we get one, it'll be pricey and we'll just have to see where it goes. Agreed. Max. You've written in the notes M three everywhere. I think it's hard to disagree with that. I think we'll by the end of twenty twenty four, we'll definitely have M threes everywhere and maybe the odd M four, but I, I suspect M 3s everywhere where we're we gonna be.
0: Yeah, get it in the air, get it in the desktops, because they haven't touched the desktops yet. Feels like a no-brainer. And it'd be great actually, do you know what, if the worst Mac you could get was an M3 Mac, that'd be a great place for them to be. But you know they're probably gonna keep the M1 MacBook Air lying around at that cheap price. I'd love, again, that to fall off and to be replaced with the M2, but this feels like a dead set. Maybe we'll have M4s at the end of next year, but I don't think anybody needs a faster chip at the moment. Nobody seems to be screaming for that because Apple are doing such a good job
1: we've said it a few times, the M series laptops are just amazing all the way from the M1 to the M3. Uh, you, 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 can't go wrong by buying any of them. They're battery efficient, they're performant that, you know, they look good, good screens, good devices, a bit expensive, a bit low on RAM, but overall great devices. Software is good enough. OS 10 needs a bit of a, a, a rethink and for bugs and things like that. We might do that in a future episode as well, it, it, but it's, a stable, solid operating system that works well with other Apple devices that you've got. And you can get real work done with them day in, day out with huge amounts of battery. So I think the Mac's in a good place. I'd like to see maybe, you know, the, the, the mini LED screens and things like that and, and rolling down and across the line a little bit. I think the sort of nips and tucks they could do with that. I'd like to see them go to 16 gigs as a minimum of RAM. I'd like to see them go to 512 gigs as a minimum SSD. But Apple go to Apple, it ain't going to happen. So having said all that, I think the Mac's in a good place.
0: I completely agree, it's in the best place it's ever been Look, if somebody went out today and bought an M1 MacBook Air that was first released a few years ago still a fantastic device that holds up so I think they've done a great job with them the M1s, the 2s, the 3s, all fantastic iPads then So, Apple need to update all the iPads That's that's what they should have done because they've done nothing this year. So it feels like we might get a new base level iPad. They need to get rid of the home button one. Um, why not give us the 11th gen one? Just the regular updates, please. The 10 one then fills the, the cheaper spot. They've got the pencil for it now. They can drop, stop selling the first gen pencil. Tied up that bit of the lineup, done. Uh, the mini just needs a spec refresh, maybe a slightly better screen in it. If you remember, it had a very laggy screen. And then that brings us on to the Air and the Pro working up the lineup. So there's talk of the Air, differentiate itself from the regular one by having a bigger screen so it might be like the 11 and the 13 inch air apparently and i guess that then takes the pro could then you know maybe move to even numbers like the MacBooks have, and maybe have a 12 and a 14-inch Pro. I don't know how that's going to pan out. And there's also talk of, you know, moving the Pros to OLED screens, maybe even having MagSafe's been rumoured and having an M3 chip. So I think it's quite an exciting year for the iPad. And it kind of feels like this might be the iPads 2018 all over again, where the form factor just gets that, that refresh, that update. I imagine it's going to look very similar to what it does today, but it would be great to see the newer screens and then to just do something with it because it does need that, What's the next thing to happen for the iPad lineup?
1: Yeah, I agree with all of that. They need to tidy the lineup. This is essential now. The fact you've still got home buttons lying around, you've still got lightning connectors lying around, you've got this incompatibility with pencils. Straight I mean, iPads are about accessories as much as anything else. Is what can you dock them with? How can you make them useful? Will they do, you know, screen mods, can you get a right keyboard case for them? How much is that going to cost you to replace it? All that kind of stuff. That's where they are kind of positioned the iPad. This is all problematic for me without them sorting out the software, though. So I think what they need to they won't, but what they need to do is give you the option on the Pro models, maybe only, is, at boot, is this a Mac or is this an iPad? And let people use them as Macs or use them as iPads. And that, at a stroke, would solve almost everybody's problems with an iPad.
0: Yes, I completely agree with you. I think it would be amazing to do it. I can't see them doing it because for me, I would probably get rid of my MacBook and just use my iPad because I need an iPad for work. I'd love to see something like this happen. Um, Maybe they will go there at some point, but but who knows. There's something they need to do with the software, I agree. Get some more out of the pros. The pros should do more than the Air because right now you can buy an Air. You don't need to go and buy a pro. The Air pretty much does what the pro does. And occasionally Apple do this where the pro and the regular lineup end up not having many differences. We saw it with the iPhones when I think the 12 was released. There wasn't a lot between them With at that point now with the Pro in the air. And that's usually when Apple then give the Pro a real boot and really move it on to the next leap. And that's what we're waiting to see, isn't it? That next leap forward. I'm quite excited by it because I'd like to see what they do with it. I'm worried I might end up spending a lot of money. That's my only concern because it does get very expensive once you want the 16 gig of RAM, which means you've got to buy the half terabyte or the full terabyte model and then you get an OLED screen and you get cellular and then you've got to buy the keyboard as you say. But they need to sort the they need to sort the lineup out because right now you can go buy the base level iPad which got got better keyboard and it's got media buttons and things, slightly different design. Why is that on the base level one but not on the pro one? It, it all seems out of sync and I think there's probably some balls left to drop or some shoes left to drop and it will all line up and and make a lot more sense
1: i hope so i'm i think my skepticism for the ipad is only growing over the course of this podcast really I, i like the fact you can get as much done with it as you can but it becomes less and less a device for me and more and more just exactly what you said a minute ago which is a media consumption device if i'm sat on a plane i can put some netflix on it or i can play a game of slay the spire on it and that's unfortunate for such a powerful expensive piece of hardware really you can make the effort you can make it fake you know with a lot of pushing but i've said repeatedly i think for most people a macbook air is a better choice of device if you can only have one you buy a macbook air you don't buy an ipad because it's too limiting and you wouldn't disagree with that either i'm sure so i want them to make it special and make it special by letting the software be free
0: yeah no i agree with you i I think if i could only have one you'd have a macbook of some shape i can't I have to have an iPad to do my job. So that's why I'm in that world.
1: Yeah, I understand. The watch. So the biggest innovation for the watch, I think, is that there's been these rumors that there's going to be a case design coming up at some point. So it won't look like the Apple Watch obs has, which is a rounded rectangle, which is almost every device Apple actually makes is a rounded rectangle in some way, shape, manner or form. With this new non-rounded rectangle could be round who knows uh will come a new design for the fastener uh this has been fairly heavily leaked by mark gerbin and others over the last few weeks is that this is imminent it would seem the next generation of watches will have some sort of different strap design or a att- means of attaching the straps to this new case uh and that's the first time they'll have broken compatibility with the straps all the way back to the series zero
0: yeah do you know what i wonder if apple try and get 10 10 out of you know like a connector for example. So are we going to see like a new charging connector for it? It'd be great if it followed like MagSafe or something like that. Are we going to see new straps? So I think this is their year if they're going to do something. It does feel like they're going for 10 because at least they can turn around to the user base and go, look, we've got 10 years out of Lightning. We've got 10 years out of the dock connector. We don't change things on a whim. We do it We do it carefully and considered. I'm amazed that the, the watch... The straps have remained the same for so long. I always thought they'd have changed earlier. I think they've done a very clever job of keeping them from day one even though they've, they've incremented the screen size a couple of times. I think they've done a really good job to, to maintain that. It's, it's quite impressive.
1: Well they used to sell you a solid gold one as I recall.
0: Yeah that was stupid. But I think the very first one though they hadn't really sat down and thought who's going to buy the watch and what is it for? They said it's for everything and everybody's going to buy it. And I think Very unlike Apple, they went to do everything. Look at the Vision Pro. They're talking about, we think one, one Vision Pro is going to come out, in essence. There might be some slight flavors, whether it's storage, and obviously you need the different lenses, but there'll be one. They're not trying to do everything for everybody with it, and I think that's where they went wrong. You know, they did too many versions straight up, and they should have narrowed their focus.
1: I'm not sure I agree with that. I think they released an underpowered device without a clear goal for it. Hopefully they've got a slightly clearer goal for the Vision Pro. You know, we know what a laptop is for. We kind of know what an iPad's for. We definitely know what a phone's for. It's for all apps and all the things that we put on there. and. They've always been quite good at selling you the thing that is going to give you that sort of single-minded purpose. I can't remember how much the original gold Apple Watch seventeen thousand dollars, right? So the original Series Zero Apple Watch was seventeen thousand dollars if you'd bought it. How happy would you be now if you'd bought one of those watches? We're not. I mean, four thousand dollars for a Vision Pro seems like nothing compared to that.
0: It depends how much you could mount that down for and get for it, I guess. I, I, I don't know what the gold prices would be, but I'm guessing nowhere near $17,000. No, but, no, but I think my point was, I think when they brought the iPad out, they brought one iPad. This is what it did. It's a general purpose platform. They brought one out. When they brought the Mac out, they brought one Mac out. When they brought the iPhone out, one one iPhone, here it is. Yes, it does different things, but here's one. We did one thing really well. It's kind of their like minimum viable product. Whereas It felt with the Apple Watch. They tried to do too much with it. And have too many different variants. Whereas I think, whilst they got a lot right, I think they got the bands right, they got the overall design of the watch right, but I think they just brought out too many versions and they brought out, tried to do too much with the software. And I think actually, if you narrow your focus, you get better quality, get one thing done really right that you've nailed, and then grow it from there. And that's, it feels like Apple have gone back to that with the Vision Pro.
1: So I think, as long as they can figure out their legal difficulties with being able to sell Apple watches at all, Uh, and they get over the Vision Pro, that the Series 10 Apple Watch may be something new and interesting. And I'm all for that. So let's say new Apple Watch design this year, new fasteners, and hope it comes to pass.
0: Yeah, agreed. And obviously you'll get the the update of the software because we had the big redesign of the software this year and it did look very good the short time I spent with it. And so that should iterate on.
1: I barely remember. I've got it. All I know is the workout app for walking drives me wild. Why is that Uh, well because now it goes is this a split are you starting what sort of walk is it? how long do you want it to be and i just start the bloody walk workout for god's sake uh, and then stopping it, it goes are you sure are you really sure rather than just saying stop workout so things like that annoy me understood moving on i think we can go very fast apple tv nothing new
0: i think nothing new at most minor bump if they do anything
1: The only thing I'd like to see, one sentence on this, is with their current focus on gaming, I think they could push a little bit harder on getting some AAA titles onto the Apple TV as well with a controller. Wouldn't it be cool if you could play, I don't know, something AAA on your Apple TV, be it a Call of Duty mobile or something like that? Why restrict it just to the phone all the time? They should focus on getting some of those titles onto that platform.
0: Should have shipped it with a controller from day one.
1: Yep very a cheapish box that runs good games under everybody's computer under everybody's television put a bigger ssd in it maybe apple common theme there
0: yeah job done so no agreed apple tv i don't think we need a lot from it and they've done most of the software this year i don't think we're going to see much
1: now accessories you've written out a few USB C. all of the things effectively and i think that's a no-brainer as well that's got to come right they can't keep putting lightning ports on everything
0: I think it is a no-brainer, but it frustrates me. It was only yesterday I was charging up my USB-C battery pack, because USB-C, my lightning battery pack, because they didn't release one. Why didn't they get that out for Christmas? It would have been a great little stocking filler, and you know people would have bought it. Um, AirPods Max I've put in there, and obviously the keyboards and mice. I'd like to think they get done this year, but equally, you never know with Apple. They could drag this one out. They are amazing at dragging something out. They've got a lot to release this year.
1: Are your headphones not USB-C?
0: no not my big airpod maxes
1: i'm actually shocked i can no other headphone manufacturer makes anything other than the usbc headphone for the last four years
0: yeah it's ridiculous at this point and they would have got some money out of me i would have bought these things because i've actually realized i'm just going usbc for everything i'm there get me over the line on it i will spe- throw a little bit of money at it to make my life a little bit easier
1: so I spent £198 on my daughter at Christmas buying her some very special Bowers & Wilkins SP2s or something they are. It is a beautiful headphone. It's one of the nicest sounding things I've ever heard. Noise cancellation is above average. I don't think it's quite as good as my Sonys are. But what a fantastic set of headphones. They're USB-C. They come with a nice carrying case. They kind of fold a little bit too.
0: Yeah, all right. I don't know what to say, but it's just so infuriating. So I'm amazed they haven't done it because it would have been a good way of them just getting some good stocking fillers out there. But it will come, whether it will come in 24 is another question.
1: I mean, we haven't delved into will they upgrade the AirPods Max at all or is this it? Is it a one-time product? You think if they're going to put USB-C in it, they may as well have released an updated version of the product that has some new features or better noise cancelling or something as well as just USB-C. So I kind of get that. Like the battery pack, the capacity is not great. Phones have got bigger battery-wise since that point. They, I think they only charged them up to sort of 70 or 80% anyway. They didn't charge them all the way up. So if you're going to rev the, the, the thing, I think you should actually rev the thing give it a new port and give it a new feature or bigger battery something in that as well it's why i'm a bit disappointed with the airpods pro 2 case just putting USB-C on there that's not very compelling you can charge them another way everybody has got a lightning cable lying around they can charge them i think if you just don't change it just for the sake of changing the connector do something new with it if they're going to give us a new mouse make sure you can charge it from the side or from the back not spirit like a turtle so i, I don't think they will but I want them to have a significant update as well as just changing the connector. They will not get money out of me just by changing the connector.
0: See, they probably would get money out of me for changing the connector because I just want to get to that future state. Um, And it is a waste of money, don't get me wrong. It is frivolous and a waste of money, but that is me. Um, Yeah, so I I think we're not a million miles away. I would love them to see some innovation. I think they will do AirPods Max Refresh because they seem quite popular when they go to a city. They're nowhere near as popular as AirPods, regular ones, because they're a lot more pocketable, literally. Um, so, yeah, I think we're all on the same page of what we want to see. It feels like Apple have got a big year on because they had a relatively quiet year last year, hardware-wise. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they do it, how they you know, spread this out, because are they going to end up with too many products coming out this year? I don't know. Or what are we going to look at, at the end of the year that they didn't get to that we thought was a dead cert? So it's going to be super interesting.
1: It is. And you've put a link in here for products we didn't realize Apple still sells.
0: Yeah, this this came out today just very quickly. They still sell the SuperDrive with the USB-A connect on it. The MagSafe Convertive, if you remember that. EarPods with a 3.5mm jack on it. 30 uh, pin to USB USB cable Pro the old trash can Mac Pro, this is security lock adapter, a link bracelet for your Apple Watch which came out in 2015 Mac Pro wheels for, which are still relevant but there can't be many people buying a Mac Pro but they were just a few products that came up and I was just like wow I thought these would have gone by now and I think the USB-A ones will probably go obviously with the um, dawn of everything's got to be USB-C but who knows
1: yeah i mean these are products that should all be dead as far as i'm concerned but there are still people out there with dot connectors and maybe want a like i mean the link bracelet was quite a nice looking bracelet i gotta say just just to sort of finish this thing off about the mac pro wheels if you did buy the mac pro wheels and you wanted the feet kit instead it's only $299 to buy the feet instead of the wheels so you know that's a bargain
0: it's just a ridiculous amount of money isn't it
1: (laughs) things like this it just feel a bit silly sometimes no that's a nice little feature feature i didn't know they were still selling those things anything else you want to say on this subject or i think we've covered it
0: no i don't think so i think we've got a great year coming up for some cool apple stuff though so i'm looking forward to it
1: cool speaking of cool things my app of the week this week is right up your street i think so should you get an apple a lego kit and not know the manual or what bag to open or anything like that you can download this lego builder app from the app store for your ipad or your phone it's got all the kits lego have ever sold and will uh, help you find the right manual for it in case your Harry Potter thing that you bought six years ago you've lost the thing for and you want to rebuild it in some way. You weren't sure what pieces it needed, what bag went where. This is just a terrific little app that I'm, I'm, uh, I just was quite taken with over the Christmas period when my kids were uh, messing around building some Lego things.
0: My kids love this app. It's fantastic. It's a really good app. And do you know what it also shows you? It shows you what models are coming out soon. And my kids think it's fantastic. So It's really good. And the problem with it is you can never surprise your children because they know what's coming out before you do. And my son was quite funny a couple of years ago. He's what, eight? And he was going through. He goes, Dad, I've just built, you know, like the Millennium Falcon. I was, what do you mean? He goes, well, I've gone through all the pages in in the app. So in essence, I've built it. And, you know, he just went through all the pages to see all the steps. But it's a great app. Lego have done a fantastic job. So, yeah, I would endorse your recommendation.
1: An app we can agree on. Look at that. Have you got a thing of the week?
0: I've got a thing of the week, and I've gone for something a bit dull, but it's called a Drive Cloner. I've never used one of these before, but I had to fix my father's computer. I bought this Drive Cloner. You put his original hard drive in it, a very slow spinning hard drive. Bought him a brand new SSD, must be the same size or bigger. Pop that into the destination, turn the thing on, push the button for three seconds, click it again, and it automatically takes everything off the source drive, puts it on the destination drive, take the destination drive out when it's all done. Pop it in the computer and hit all of a sudden his computer is way faster, and I've had to do nothing terribly technical. It's an amazing bit of kit. I would have given my left arm for one of these years and year, you know, 10, 15 years ago when this was a, something I did a lot more. But if you've got to fix somebody's computer and they need to clone their hard drive, they've got problems with it, or they need to get faster hard drive, but you don't have to reinstall everything. This is a fantastic piece of kit for 20 odd pounds. Very easy and it's clearly marked which is the target and which is the source drive because obviously you don't want to get those the wrong way around because you can't undo that. But would definitely recommend best thing I bought at the end of last year just to fix a family IT issue.
1: Fair enough. Sounds like a solid recommendation. There are, of course, software versions to do this on Mac uh, as well. Things like Carbon Copy Cloner and others can can mirror drives for you as well. But it is nice. you know, If you just want to exactly copy what's on there and put on a new thing, you're good to go. Good pick.
0: Yeah, and super simple, you don't need any skills per se, you just need to be able to take the drive out and put it in. But literally put the new drive in the computer, it just turned on and booted as it did with the old drive in it, but it was just so much faster. So it gets my seal of approval, if you've got a spinning hard drive, get off it, buy an SSD for like £50 and away you go.
1: I think even cheaper than £50 these days, I think I've seen two fifty-six gig ones for like 20
0: yeah, normally somebody put a terabyte hard drive in my dad's computer, so I had to buy a terabyte SSD, even though it's largely empty. But it is what it is. Fantastic.
1: What's a terabyte these days? 54 quid?
0: Yeah, it was literally 50 quid. So I, yeah. I thought that was an okay price.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Good pick. I think we can call that a show. I think that's it. So look, if anyone wants to get into contact with us, Rod is at G5Maniac at Marston.scott. I am at underscore cjp at master.social. Or you can drop us an email at wake from sleep at protonmail.com.
1: Talk to you next week, Chris.
0: Cheers, Rod.